0: RPC radio. radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance.
1: Coming up in this episode. I think what we're seeing in cyber insurance right now it is more a question of purpose rather than a crisis of existence, you know? What do we want to do with this as an industry?
0: My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I'm joined by a guest, and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. This week, we have Tom Johansmeyer, and we're going to discuss whether cyber insurance is in crisis. Yep, that's right. Tom is back. Tom was a guest in August last year when we talked about the insurance of fossil fuels. And anyone who listened to that episode will be looking forward to this one because Tom really knows his insurance. He is head of property claim services, which gathers and analyzes data from across the insurance market. He's also been a soldier, a strategist, a coder and a marketer, not to mention a runner, a cyclist and a distance swimmer. But he also writes widely on insurance. And recently, one of his areas of focus has been cyber insurance. Which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Tom, welcome back
1: to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure.
0: And um, you're based in, in Bermuda, um, despite coming originally from, from New York. So,
1: h- how did you end up in Bermuda? I know it's a, an insurance center, but how did you end up there? I found myself coming down here more and more frequently just to see clients, you know, discuss the loss estimates PCS was putting out, how they you know dovetail with uh, risk transfer market conditions. And after a while, I was down here more than I was anywhere else. And it just seemed like a, a natural fit. You've know, you you've got to be where your clients are. And Jersey City, you know, not great for clients. There are a few there. Um, but Bermuda, I mean, I, I can't get a cup of coffee without running into three clients. And that's the way it should be. Cyber is obviously
0: a hot topic um, at the moment. Uh, and then this time last year, uh, we recorded an episode on cyber insurance with Danny Rifat of Hiscox, and it was the most listened to episode during 2021. So um, I have high hopes for this one, Tom. Don't, 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 don't let me down, I hope. Um, before we descend into the nitty gritty, though, I think it's useful before we get going to define in very generic terms the types of loss that are covered by a, a cyber policy. And as I understand it, there are three main categories of, of loss or claim. The first is business interruption caused by viruses, malware, whatever. Um, So, you know, that's BI, business interruption. The second one is privacy claims. So where there's been a data breach and people's personal information has been stolen. Um, And then thirdly, ransomware. Um, Is is that a fair summary of the the, the three basic claims or is there there anything else that we need to consider?
1: It's fair. I mean, the only thing I talk a little bit about is ransomware because ransomware has elements of both business interruption and privacy, right? So the way ransomware works is a bad actor comes in, locks up your system and asks for payment to reopen it, right? Well, that period where you don't have access is the BI component. There has been an evolving approach as well where the ransomware actor will exfiltrate data while also locking up your system. So you've got the threat of privacy and the threat of BI in the same attack. The the reason why I'm generally comfortable with ransomware being categorized as a third type is because it's unique enough, it's pervasive enough. And as a threat right now, it is the main threat. So I think there's a certain value to highlighting it separately. And in articles that you've written, you talked
0: about sort of 2017 being a, a, a pivotal moment in, in, in cyber insurance. And if this podcast had existed in, say, 2017, and if you'd been a guest, which obviously you would have been, how would you have described the state of the, the cyber insurance market at that time? How had it developed maybe up until 2017? And, and, and more pertinently, for the purposes of this podcast, what would
1: you have said about the future of cyber insurance. Okay, so heading into 2017, the market was fascinating, right? Because you had the main type of threat, which is privacy. But in the background, the one thing everybody worried about was a cyber attack, ultimately leading to a DNO claim, because that's where you see the big numbers that scare people. You know, there was some talk about BI, but it was never the top topic in the industry. 2017 is what changed that, right? So you had privacy, 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 lingering DNO, uncertainty, and then you've got WannaCry, which was a a massive economic event. And it affected a lot of companies around the world as a a wiper, right? It, It just basically wiped out data, um, so it didn't lock it up. It didn't exfiltrate it. It was basically just like blowing up data. But because of the companies that got hit and the low rate of insurance penetration, the industry insured loss was only somewhere around 50 to $60 million. Not pet yet as a variation of the underlying malware came a couple of months afterward. And that one had a bigger impact, right? You had... A little more than three hundred million dollars in affirmative cyber loss. You had another three ish billion in property losses, and you had a couple of hundred million, if I remember correctly, worth of DNO came out of that. So that was the first large scale cyber attack with impact on the insurance industry. And after that, you could see the impact that BI could have before NotPetya. The cyber insurance industry would have said of its future that, you know what, privacy is going to be a problem, but it's becoming less expensive. You know, cost per record is going down. But be careful about the professional lines, risks that are out there. That's the future. And by the end of 2017, all anybody could talk about was business interruption.
0: What size was the cyber market, the global cyber market at this
1: sort of stage? 2017. So we we estimate global insurance premium right now to be kind of five to five and a half billion. So figure four, maybe four and a quarter back then. But presumably people back then would have assumed that the
0: market was just going to get larger and larger. Presumably, is that right?
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean you you look at some of the projections for like 2024, 2025. Were, these were, you know, $20 billion in annual insurance premium. Okay. So we're in 2017, where people are beginning
0: to show levels of concern around, let's say, business interruption. But what has actually happened since 2017? Is that the way it's panned out or has it changed again?
1: It's gotten broader. So I would say it, it wasn't just business interruption. So two things have happened since NotPetya that have been really interesting for the cyber industry. First, privacy issues didn't go away. You know, the largest losses, insured losses, single risk in cyber right now are both privacy. Both X300 mil, both came after NotPetya. So it's important to keep in mind that, you know, just because something else bigger came along, it doesn't mean that the other risks that have been out there can't get big to. The other thing that happened was an evolution in how BI could come to bear, and that was ransomware. So the wiper you saw with Petya, that blows up the data, right? Ransomware is a little more clever. The point with ransomware is not to do damage, it's to monetize it. So, you know, look at it this way. If I'm angry with you, I go blow up your car, that ruins your day. Now let's say instead of blowing up your car, I boot it, right? Put one of those things on the wheel so you can't drive it, and leave you my phone number. Say, hey, you know what? You want to drive your car again? Hundred thousand dollars. So now not only do I get the satisfaction of ruining your day, so you get a hundred grand. So yeah, you know, and ransomware is basically turning that into a business, which you know is kind of clever in a sick way. Ransomware involves locking up that data, waiting for payment, getting that payment, unlocking the data, moving on. So that's a B.I risk. And then the next iteration from ransomware is, hey, I can get paid for locking up your data. I can also get paid for holding it hostage. You know basically, if you think of the old you know, kidnap and ransom market, kidnap and ransom, this is exactly what the latest evolution of ransomware is. You're going to kidnap the data and then you're also gonna ransom what's locked up.
0: So, sorry, I, I'm not quite sure I've got the, the, the distinction between those last two. So we, we have the three stages, but we have not NotPetya, which is just everything is deleted. Then we have this, the, the situation where everything is just blocked, is that right? And, and then the final stage is effectively the data is taken by the
1: bad actor and is held to ransom, so. And, it, well, hold on, and it's also locked, right? So I lock up your systems. And I take your data. Now, this is an important nuance, right? Because if I lock up your data, that gives you the the flexibility to handle things yourself, right? I can restore it. I can try to fix my systems without paying you. But if the data is actually taken as well, you have a second threat. So let's say I'm the attacker, you're the victim, right? I lock up your systems. I exfiltrate your data. So now basically you go to use your systems and you can't do anything. And also I'm holding your data outside your system. You can say to me, hey, Tom, I'm going to restore from backup, do my scans. It's going to take me a little bit longer, but I'm going to get up and running without paying. And I say, okay, good luck. All your employee and client data is going to get published up to, you know, whatever post bin I can find. So you can fix your stuff without paying me. Good. I'm going to publish all your private data. And you say, okay, maybe it's time for me to pay you.
0: Okay. So the first one is someone destroying my house. The second one is someone locking me out of my house. And the third one is someone locking me out of my house and stealing all my goods. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, well. Yeah, I was going to say that's good, but I, I I now understand it, and now I understand it. I'm very worried. Well, here's the deal,
1: though. If you want to feel better. About the situation, at least take some comfort in the fact that all this ransomware stuff is becoming a job, and it's so institutionalized that the folks who do it don't even get hacker satisfaction anymore. <laughs> well, I, I, yes, we will we'll, we'll take small comforts where they where they come. Um, and
0: in terms of in, in terms of the, the kind of uh, figures, facts and figures for this, you, you mentioned that the hope was that the global premium would be. Kind of 20 billion by 2024, but we're obviously in 2022 now, and you said it was 5 billion. Um, I mean, are we talking about a, a market that has plateaued now? And, and, and what sort of losses and payments are we making in relation to ransomware? So
1: it's plateaued temporarily, right? So the amount of ransomware that's out there and the nature of the losses is, is such that insurers are being really careful with how they write. Now, Ransom has gone up. I mean, a few years ago, you were looking at five-figure ransom payments, low five figure. Uh, the biggest we saw last year was worth a 40 million single ransom. The actors were asking for 70, which they didn't get, but mean to go from 10, 15,000 dollars up to 70 million in a handful of years, that tells you a lot, right?
0: We, we talked about the fact that the, the global premium has at least temporarily, plateaued. And I just want to have a a look behind the reasons for that um, and and sort of break it down. So there are various options as to why that is, um, and we'll discuss each one. So is it a lack of demand, first and foremost? Is it simply that the people out there are not wanting to buy cyber insurance? Quite the contrary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So do people want more cyber insurance? Yes, absolutely. You know, if a hurricane is bearing down on your house, do you want property cover? Probably. Is the threat environment such that insurers are uncomfortable riding it at certain prices? Yes. So what happens is demand goes up due to an increase in the threat environment. Okay, fine. Makes sense. Um, The increase in demand plus the increase in expected loss require insurers to charge an appropriate rate makes sense, right? So now you're looking at a high price for something that's in demand and buyers are looking at this like, yeah, no way. You know, it's, it's always important to remember that insurance ultimately is an expense that has to be accommodated by a company's financial machine. And they then have to take a look at what expenses are more important than others. And up until the reason rate hardening, there is a, a belief that Cyber was an existential threat and people would buy as much as they can at whatever price. Now, they're not because after COVID-19 and five years of major catastrophe, we've kind of redefined what an existential threat is. So cyber has been deprioritized by some buyers on a relative base. Still important? Yes. Um, But companies are taking a broader view of the risk and how they manage it, which can include IT security, it can include self-insurance, it can include other forms of risk financing. So insurance isn't the only answer there. Now, the messy supply and demand environment, which defies easy categorization, it's One factor, and it's an important one, but I don't think it's the only one. What are the other things? The biggest that bothers me right now, or I shouldn't say bothers me, it certainly has my attention, is the reinsurance environment. So, insurers seed more than 50% of what they write to reinsurers, which tells me that they're not crazy about holding the risk, right? And reinsurers have been gobbling this stuff up. So, we estimate that right now there's around $2.8 billion in affirmative cyber reinsurance premium in the market. More than 80% of it going to only a handful of companies. So highly concentrated. This creates a lot of behind-the-scenes problems that can have a big impact all the way down to the end insured. So you're an insurer, you rely on reinsurance disproportionately to write this business. Reinsurance dries up, you're stuck. So if you're a reinsurance underwriter, now uh, let's say one of the smaller ones doing that $25, $30, $40 million a year in premium. You want to write more. Your enterprise risk guys or your CEO are saying, no, <laughs> we're not taking on more cyber. I don't care what you tell me about structure or attachment point or anything else. We're not doing it. As a reinsurance underwriter, what's the first thing you think? Retro, right? I'm going to go to the retrocession market. I'm going to lay some of this stuff off myself a little more breathing room. I'm going to go out, over up some more business. Retro is difficult in the current cyber market. Uh, the biggest problem is you know, you've got a handful of companies controlling 80 odd percent of the premium. Any trades between them would result in an increase in concentration risk significant. right? If any of them wants to buy retro and they can't do it from each other, they're now looking at Getting protection from the remaining 15 20% of the market, which would have a massive increase in concentration risk. <laughs> and you know, it's still difficult even to put together enough of a panel to make a dent in a big player's retro needs. The little guys, well, the retro guy, the big players have filled their boots. So as a small player, you can't really go to them for retro. And if you go to your peers, you run into that same problem of putting a panel together. So realistically, you've got kind of this log jam of capacity that needs to get broken somehow. It really means either refining how these risks are modeled to free up capacity, or more importantly, finding new sources of capacity to come in to give everybody breathing room. So the, the real problem is in the end insurance market, we don't have enough penetration To generate the consistent premium and loss experience that actuaries would use to really understand the market,
0: right? I think there are two points there which I picked out from that. The first one is that it sounds as though the cyber, the direct cyber market, the tail is wagging the dog. So a lack of capacity at retro level means that there's a lack of capacity at reinsurance level, which means there's a lack of. Ability to underwrite cyber risks at direct insurance level. So, in that sense, the tail is wagging the dog. But also, you touched there upon a lack of data as well, the fact that the market is not understood. And I presume that is at least in part because a hurricane is a hurricane is a hurricane. We know what a hurricane does. But with cyber, the next hurricane may be something which we've never even heard of before, because there may be a type of cyber attack that as at 2022, no one has yet conceived of. But yet in 2023, some form of attack occurs, which is much larger, as you say, much more existential than than what we've had so far. So in that sense, even the data that we do have now on the cyber market is not necessarily relevant to the loss that may occur next year. Is is that is that
1: correct? I'll go halfway with you on that, because I, I, I think that You know, yes, there is a certain familiarity with hurricanes and what they do to insureds. But I'd even say that hurricanes are dynamic as well. And I think that as an industry, we rely on that uncertainty crutch a bit too much when it comes to cyber. I mean, just take Hurricane Ida last year, right? You know, you had a hurricane that hit Louisiana hard. Fine. We've seen that before. You know, it, it runs up through the Midwest and dissipates. You know, that's a, a well-trodden hurricane path for golf. It's fine. And then it pivots to the Northeast and dumps a bunch of rain on it, causing what would be itself a significant insured loss under any other circumstances. So something like Ida, nobody saw that coming. I mean, it, it's not as you know, sexy or aggressive as the pivot from privacy to ransomware. I'll grant you that, um, but it's probably probably more meaningful and more impactful to our industry. In January
0: 2021, Tom, you wrote uh, an article about cyber where you said uh, that 30 years of history have shown us that cyber risk is difficult to understand, problematic to hedge, only likely to grow, and characterized by a continually changing threat environment. What do you think can be done to improve the market?
1: A number of things. I think there's no substitution for activity, right? You know, until people are writing and retaining more cyber insurance risk, we're going to be constrained. Now, it's easy for me to say that, not having a balance sheet, right? <laughs> oh, we need more people to go out there and take losses. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's not great advice unless you really qualify it, which I'm about to do. So you need folks who are willing to go out and write more because they understand the risk better, or they're willing to build a big enough portfolio to absorb the risk. So it's tough. You you either go in small and hope for the best or go in with a a massive number, not knowing whether or not you're going to be blown out. It's a difficult proposition so quantification analytics becomes a big part of it as well and also you need to see more and more integration between insurance and the security environment which i think we're already seeing start and it's it's positive but you know you've got to have insurers who understand security you've got to have insurance buyers who implement appropriate security measures and i think ultimately the whole thing has got to be economically realistic. Right? So if I do 20 million a year in profit as an end insured and I need to spend 15 of that to bring my security to a realistic level where I can buy the insurance I need, you know what? <laughs> it's not worth it. So I'm going to find my financial tolerance for Security spend versus cyber risk, and I'll live with it. And I, I think the more we can make that cyber security slash insurance environment more economically viable, the more people will do. As it gets cheaper, people would do more. So obviously, the the, the, the question that we
0: posed right at the beginning um, and the title of this episode is: Is the cyber insurance market in crisis? I suppose before I. Kind of pontificate myself on that question. What's your answer to it? Is the cyber insurance market in crisis in 2022?
1: I think that it's not in crisis. I think there are certainly reasons for concern about the future of the cyber insurance environment. But at five billion dollars in premium, I mean, there are some people who call it eight. Fine, call it eight, which I don't buy. But if you want to inflate it up and go, go crazy, call it eight billion. If $8 billion worth of premium at questionable profitability disappeared from the industry next year, how big a deal would it be? You know, some companies would hurt more than others, fine. But it's still not a, a massive threat to the industry. I, I think what we're seeing in cyber insurance right now it is more a question of purpose rather than a crisis of existence, you know? What do we want to do with this as an industry? Do we want to grow it and write more of it and write better cyber insurance? Are we going to give back as an industry all the effort we put into creating a new class of business for cyber and let it creep back into things like property? I know nobody wants to do that. Are, are we going to reabsorb cyber into existing classes and change our fundamental pricing on that? It's an option. Or are we going to? try to come up with a new model for this sort of thing, maybe embedded. You know, there, There's a lot of opportunity right now. And I, I think we have to figure out how we're comfortable selling cyber insurance. And more importantly, how customers are comfortable buying it. So I'll never forget. It must have been five years ago. I was on a panel with some very serious and important people. I kind of felt like the kid at the adults table. You know, a lot of C-level guys. On that panel talking about cyber insurance. And I I asked him the simple question: do you feel right now that cyber insurance addresses the need of the end customer? Every single one of them laughed, not chuckle, full belly laugh, right? The way cyber insurance seems to have evolved is insurers looked at what they were willing to sell and excluded a lot. Okay, fine. And buyers looked at what they wanted to buy and insurers weren't selling it. Okay. But they needed some kind of insurance. So ultimately they wound up at what kind of product can an insurer sell and an insured buy that's cheap enough that the buyer won't worry about it. That it's not a lot of money they're losing for whatever check the box exercise they need. And insurers are kind of making just enough that it's worth it. And that's where we wound up this kind of room temperature product that doesn't do a lot. What we saw is the increase of the threat environment challenge that room temperature notion. And it's got us rethinking a lot as an industry. You know, I, I think what we need to do is figure out okay, cyber risk exists. Are we going to find a way to write it more effectively? Or is it going to become the next flood? Generally not covered. But you know, flood is the greatest natural catastrophe risk in the world. It's bigger, badder, and more frequent than anything else. And it's generally under or uninsured. So does that mean
0: that the cyber may well end up being a bit like uh, terrorism, or as you say, flood, where, where there is a, a government backed reinsurance scheme? So all insurers have to pay into it. And that, that's the way that the protection is, is provided at a reasonable cost.
1: It's hard to say. I mean, I think it's too early for the government to step in and do it. I think the industry needs to make a proper go at this. And the pools, I don't think they're the answer here. I mean, the risk is too frequent and too severe. And all the pool does is have the taxpayer finance it in a different way. I don't think that's the answer. I think the only answer is we got to figure out how to get this right.
0: I'm going to finish with rephrasing a question from earlier on. So earlier on, I said, if this podcast has existed in in 2017 and and you'd been a guest, how would you describe the cyber insurance market then and what would be in the future of cyber insurance? Now, I want you to speculate. if, If we're now in 2027 and you're a guest on this podcast, if we're still going, how do you envisage The cyber market will look like in 2027. Will it still be at 5 billion or will it be beginning to grow towards the 20 billion that people
1: always assumed it would be? I I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I think as an industry, we do a great job of managing just enough incremental improvement that we don't have to solve real foundational problems. So, five years from now, at 5% a year, What's that turn cyber premium into six and a half bill, maybe? Yeah, maybe you see some fresh capital come in, some better security, making insurers more likely to write a bit more. Eh, you know what? Let's say it's a seven, even go crazy, call it a seven and a half billion dollar business premium. I I think that's realistic. Um, I think ransomware will still be an issue. My hope is that diplomacy. And other state level interactions will help drive some guardrails around the risk so that, you know, certain types of targets aren't threatened anymore. Security gets a bit better, especially for critical national infrastructure. And I think they are going to be you know, a new threat type come out and we'll have to learn to adapt to a dynamic risk.
0: Tom, that's absolutely magnificent. I mean, with all of that in mind. Would you recommend cyber as as an area that people should get into? If someone's coming to the insurance and uh, that they're thinking what to do, is is cyber an area that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think folks need to learn about the environment, how to develop it and improve it. I I think more horsepower is always a good thing.
0: Tom, that was absolutely magnificent. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.
1: RPC Radio. Radio.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. And please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production, made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.